uh, thanks for being here this kickoff weekend for our fall campaign called Mission Critical. And we're focused in on a new mission statement that is going to guide our church into the future. Our staff team has come up with this, put it together based on what God has done here and where we see God going. And our elders have approved that. And, uh, and we really feel like this captures, um, again, the history of this church and what God has done here and also looks to the future and recognizes the things that God has us focusing in on as a church now and reflecting the times that we're in. Um, it's very important, I think, today in the season of uh, uh, in the era in which we're alive, we're following Jesus on this planet, in this community, that we understand what we're to be about and what the mission is that we're supposed to be on. And so our, our mission statement is, we're a church on mission to raise up disciple makers who share the gospel where we live, work, and play. And so the first part of that, kind of three aspects, the first is that we're a church on mission. That like we talked about last week, we looked at first uh, at Philippians chapter one, that we really are, and this is the history of this church, we are a partnership church in the advancement of the gospel. That um, we're a group of people that gather together to worship, we fellowship, we encourage each other, but we really are on mission to reach the world around us. And so we're a church on mission, that's the first step. The second step, what is the mission? Well, we see in uh, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, the mission is to make disciples. And so um, disciples, though, are to grow to be able to make more disciples. And so we're phrasing it with the terminology disciple makers, that we're a mission, a church on mission to raise up disciple makers. And so for you to be a part of this church and to be on mission with us is to grow to become a person who could disciple someone else. You could help someone else grow to learn what it means to follow Jesus. And so that involves your ability to teach them and to model for them what it means to follow Jesus. And so we're a church on mission to raise up disciple makers who do what? Who share the gospel, who are ready and able and available to share the gospel of salvation in and through Jesus. And we do that in our mission field. And the mission field we're called to as a church is the arenas where we live, work, and play. It's the areas that we, uh, our lives occupied in being around other people. And so that kind of sums up or encapsulates the idea of the mission we have. And as we've shared before, it's so important that we have a mission. We know that we're on mission. As people, we have a tendency to gravitate towards comfort, towards our, uh, what we want, what our desires are. We get fixated on that. And so one of the things that a mission statement does and a mission helps us with is to keep us from focusing too much on the things that don't matter as much and to say focus on really what matters most. Today we want to look at a, a scripture in John 17. And so if you have a Bible and you want to follow along there, John 17, we find here um, in the first half of this chapter, I think three aspects of, uh, of what we learn about God. What we learn about God from the scriptures is that God is a God who has a mission heart. He has a mission heart. And that means that God, from the moment that Adam and Eve chose to act in disobedience, in rebellion, they brought a curse of sin on the earth so that the earth as God intended it no longer was. We now have pain and suffering. We have uh, hurt that we caused others and we get hurt. And there's all kinds of things that we do that are outside of God's plan. Well, God's missional heart moved him 
to do something about it. And how thankful we are that we're the recipients of, of God's missional heart. And so I just want to look today at three aspects of this heart that God has. His heart that he has for us, for his creation. The first aspect that we see of God's missional heart and what it did for us is that the mission heart of God moved him to rescue us. The mission heart of God moved him to rescue us. Follow along as I read the first three verses of John 17. This is how it goes. Jesus, after he's uh, just finished kind of telling his disciples about what he's going to be doing next and what's going to be happening with him as he goes to the end of his time here on earth. He's going to be leaving. Then he's going to return. But after this, he goes into a prayer. He begins to talk to God. Says this, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way we have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. In his prayer, he starts off by asking God the Father to glorify him. He says, glorify the Son so he can give glory back to you. The, the meaning behind glorify is simply to shine or reflect. And so Jesus heading to his fi the final aspect of his mission here on earth, which would involve suffering, it would involve uh, uh, pain and suffering, separation from God, um, and great difficulty. As he moved into this this era, this season, this part of the mission that God had called him to, he asked the Father to glorify him. That means shine through him. And Jesus says, if you shine through me, I will shine back on you. I will give the credit to you. In other words, people are going to see through what I do next, the reality of God's existence, who he is and, and what he's all about. And how true is that, that since Jesus left the earth and his disciples began to tell the story of what Jesus had done, how many people over 2,000 years have recognized the power of God, the reality of God through the work that Jesus did. Jesus came on mission. God's missional heart motivated him to rescue the human race. Jesus goes on to say that all authority has been given to him, authority over everyone. Jesus has the power based on who he was and what he does as a part of this mission to offer salvation to everyone. Now he says, I've given salvation to the ones that you gave me. In other words, we know from the scripture, there's a choosing, there's a predestining that God has that he's a part of that's involved in salvation. What we see from the scriptures is that uh, the, the direction of God's choice also involves the choice that he has given to us. And so, the choosing goes both directions, right? We are called and given the opportunity to choose to trust in him. And it's because he has chosen to save us when we do that. And so this, this power has been given to Jesus. And he says, I'm going to offer salvation to people. And what is salvation? And he defines it for us in this passage. It is to know God. When we fell into sin when we chose to live in rebellion against God. There's a separation between the human race and God. 
the one who created us, the one who designed us to be in relationship with him, okay, that relationship, that ability to walk with him was, was broken. And so there was a separation between God and his creation. And God, of course, wanted to restore that. The idea of being saved has a lot of aspects to it. We talk about salvation. I could preach for a year on salvation. But the truth is that in this passage, what we see defines salvation is this connection, this relationship with God. It's to know him. That separation between God and man, God himself moved to heal, to fix, so that restoration could happen. We'll look at that through this series a little bit more. What's involved in that? What's the role that we play in helping others? The point is that God moved to rescue us, to bring a restoration to the relationship. Without God's actions, without his movement on our behalf, of course, the relationship could not be restored. But what does it look like for God to do this work? How could we understand what was involved in Jesus coming to earth, taking on human form, becoming a man, so that he could show us who God is and he could do this work of rescuing? Well, one example that C.S. Lewis wrote years ago was the idea that kind of revolves around this. So it might help us understand what was taking place in Jesus becoming a man. He said it this way, lying at your feet is your dog. Imagine for the moment that your dog and every dog is in deep distress. Some of our dogs act like they're in deep distress all the time. But here's the thing. Some of us, he says, love dogs very much. If it would help all the dogs in the world to become like men, would you be willing to become a dog? Would you put down your human nature, leave your loved ones, your job, your hobbies, your art and literature and music, and choose instead of the intimate communion with your beloved, with the people that you love, right? Choose instead the poor substitute of looking into the beloved's face and wagging your, table, uh, wagging your tail, unable to speak or smile. Christ becoming man, limited the thing which to him was the most precious thing in all of his existence, his unhampered, unhindered communion with the Father. Jesus lived for all eternity, perfectly united, connected in relationship with God the Father. We know that we learn from the scriptures that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that those three persons are so connected, so united, they are one God. Jesus, in coming to earth, gave up that intimate connection. He came to earth, took on a body, and accepted the limitations that that involved. One of which was a distancing in the relationship between him and the Father. He didn't have the same kind of connection as he did when he existed in heaven with God. What would you be willing to do to save your kids, to rescue those that you love if they fell into harm's way? Well, we can see the mission heart of God moved him to rescue us. The second aspect of what God's missional heart did for us is the mission heart of God moved Jesus to finish the work. Let's continue reading John 17 and verse 4. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, 
bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Important, powerful verses. Jesus indicates that he has brought glory to the Father. He's reflected God the Father during his time here on earth by completing, by finishing the work God gave him to do. He accomplished everything that God sent him here to accomplish. He interacted with people. He, uh, he, he, um, he did so many things, but everything he did reflected God and proved and revealed to us that God does indeed exist. Some of the things the mission involved that Jesus came on, the mission involved becoming human, as we said, and giving up some of the attributes he had as God, the power that he had. He lowered himself, he humbled himself, became like us. Living a sinless life was also part of the mission. The Bible tells us that he was tempted in every way as we are. He felt the effects of sin. He saw the pain that sin causes. He himself felt the pull that sin has on us. And yet he did not give in to ever sin itself. And so he lived a sinless life. And yet coming to this earth meant coming into an existence where sin, something that is totally foreign to God, became the environment that he existed in. He showed the heart of God as he walked the earth. He did so many things as he interacted with people. What are some of the things he did? He brought healing to people's physical bodies. He forgave people of their sins. Um, he provided for people's physical needs. He had a connection with people that was powerful. He brought an awareness to us about the heart of God, how God cares for us, what he thinks of us. And he shared with us so many powerful things, this relational connection, this provision um, that, that he brought to us, this healing and restoration. Jesus also spoke the truth. You know, Jesus came 100% true. We know that Jesus, one of the things that makes him stand out in history and, and gives us evidence that he was more than just a man is that everything he said was absolutely the truth, 100%. And of course, he backed that up by living out everything he preached. But Jesus, as he met with individuals, as he encountered people, would speak the truth to them. And yet, as he did that, and we know the truth can cut, it can, it can hurt, um, because it confronts who we really are. And so Jesus speaking the truth at all times, but he did it in love. And so Jesus always spoke the truth in love, and what a powerful um, connection that made. What a powerful reflection of God. That Jesus, as he interacted with each person, connected with them regarding the truth of who they were and where they stood, and yet always from a motivation of love and concern for them. Now this truth in love, for some, repelled them away from Jesus. They were disappointed with what he had to say and what they needed to do in relation to him. But for others, it drew them in in such a powerful way that they would never leave. They wanted to stay with him because it was such a strong connection. Lastly, uh, and, the, and the mission involved many things, but the last thing that I want to mention here today is that it involves suffering and dying, which of course was tremendous amount of physical pain based on the way that Jesus died, crucifixion, very uh, a, a, a torturous way to die. But so much more than that, came the separation that Jesus experienced between himself and the Father. 
And, and the fact that as First uh, Corinthians tells us, he who knew no sin, in other words, Jesus who had never sinned, uh, didn't, didn't know what sin was, didn't act out of sin in any way, he became sin. God put the sin of the entire human race on him. And it's hard for us to understand what that kind of pain was or would be like. Of course, no one but God could shoulder that load. Jesus suffered for you and for me. This missional heart of God moved Jesus to walk through to the very end and complete the work that God sent him to do. And though it's a story of pain and suffering, it's also a story of hope and life and joy for us who have connected with God and put our faith and trust in Jesus and the work he did. Mission accomplished is what he was saying in this passage. You know, it's hard for us to describe the power that is involved when God enters a human life and saves them. What is involved in that? Maybe a little way of illustrating that would be something like this. Longfellow, who was the old poet, he could take a worthless sheet of paper, write a poem on it, and make it worth $6,000. Probably a lot more now, but that's genius. Rockefeller, who was a, one of the people that built up this country, he could sign his name to a piece of paper, like a check, make it worth a million dollars. That's capital. Uncle Sam can take gold, stamp an eagle on it, make it worth $20. That's money. A mechanic can take material that's worth only 50 and make it worth 500. That's skill. An artist can take a $10 piece of canvas, paint a picture on it, make it worth $1,000. That's art. But God can take a sinful life, wash it with the blood of the lamb, put his spirit in it, and make it a blessing to all humanity. That's salvation. The power that God has to transform you and me who walk through this life and live separated from him, but the power to restore us, the power to change us is truly remarkable. There is no greater power that exists. The third aspect of what God's mission heart meant for us was the mission heart of God moved Jesus to ensure it included you. Let's jump down to verse 9 and read 9 through 12 of John 17. Jesus goes on to say, My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me. So they bring, so they bring me glory. Verse 11, now I'm departing from the world. They are staying in the world but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. Some things that I think are of note I want to focus on today from these verses is that Jesus, as he prays, and though he cares about the world, right? But in this prayer, he's praying specifically for those who belong to him. He notes this connection, again, between the Father giving 
followers to him, people that would believe and put their trust in him. He indicates that he has protected them, he's guarded them, and he's got all of them through this difficult mission that he's been on. Except for the one, of course, which turned on him. But Jesus, in this moment, in this prayer, prays something that I think is perhaps in opposition to what he might have wanted to do. As Jesus spent three years with these men and women, discipling them, raising them up, teaching them about who he was, uh, getting them dislodged from the world and connected to God, I can only imagine that the last thing he might have wanted to do is to leave them here on earth (laughs) because he knew what would be involved in that and what great risk would be involved. But of course, we know that God is willing to take risk. He risked all in creating us by giving us the freedom to choose. We could choose not to have a relationship with him or we could choose to respond to him. And each human being has that choice. And so in this risk, as Jesus says, I'm gonna leave them here. I'm coming back to you, but I'm gonna leave them here. There's a reason that he's doing it, obviously. And that is because Jesus' heart was not just for them, but was also for you 2,000 years later. He knew that if he didn't leave them here, right, a mission wouldn't continue. He came to provide salvation, to reveal to us who God is. But this mission needed to continue and extend out. As we've said before, if Jesus would have come back within the first hundred years, there might have been a few thousand people in heaven. But the fact that God in his sovereignty and wisdom has continued to extend salvation out for 2,000 years means perhaps billions will be in heaven. God was willing to risk and Jesus is willing to risk. And so in his prayer, he prays for some things I think are really interesting. He prays for power, protection, right? He does pray for that because he knows that the enemy is going to attack that the sinful environment that we're in is going to result in hurts and wounds and it's going to mean that some people are going to walk away or they're going to be damaged in the process of just living this life. And so those that he's chosen, those that will put their trust in him, he wants to keep them and protect them. And yet he's allowing them to exist in a place of difficulty, of struggle, but it's for a purpose. He also prays that they'll be united that they will connect with one another and stay that way because there's power in that connection. He knows they're going to need each other to be able to live out the battle that this life will be when trying to live it for God. And so he encourages them with this prayer. It's interesting how Jesus prays. It reflects, again, the mission heart of God. And so he ensured that you and I, by his actions that you and I would have the opportunity to be connected with God too, to be saved, to be transformed, to be healed. I think in order for us to connect to this mission statement that we've presented and the mission that God's called us to is we must stay focused in the same way the early church was focused. These first disciples, as they knew that they were there on mission to continue to carry forward this message of the gospel. You and I need to continue to stay focused on that mission. How important is it for us to ensure that those who come after us, we have no idea how long God is going to wait, how long he's going to wait to send Jesus to return 
to get his people. But we must stay focused in the meantime. Uh, there's a, a, a story from the life of Patsy Claremont, I think kind of is interesting and can help illustrate to us the importance of staying focused. She got on a plane to take a trip and there was a young man who came and sat next to her and she noticed him right away because he addressed her as ma'am. And, he, and she thought to herself, well, he either thinks I'm really old or uh, he th- he's from the South, you know, or maybe he's uh, in the military. And so she asked him and he said, yeah, I'm in the service. And she said, what branch? I'm in the Marines. And said, well, Marine, how long have you been uh, or where have you been deployed? And he said, I've been deployed to Desert Storm. And how long have you been gone? And he's like, I've been a year and a half away from my family. And she said, well, man, over that year and a half, you had to think an awful lot about being back home. I'm sure you missed your family. And I'm sure you thought a lot about being there instead of where you were. And he said, no, no, ma'am, actually, I didn't do that. Because in our training, we're taught not to think of things that couldn't be, but to focus on where we're at and what the job is in front of us. I think we can and should spend time thinking about eternity, thinking about what it will be like to be in a place with no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering. And certainly as we live in this life, we long for that. But can I tell you that we need to stay focused on the mission in front of us, the work that God's called us to do? You and I are here for a purpose and we live in important times. I think it's so important that we are on point, that we're focused on the mission God's called us to so that we can continue to be a church on mission to raise up disciple makers who will share the gospel where we live, work, and play. God, thank you for your calling on our lives. Thank you for the salvation that you offer us freely by grace through faith. Nothing that we can do to earn our way to you. There's nothing we can do to to make ourselves acceptable in your sight. It's all things that you must do for us. What you've asked us to do is simply put our trust in you, to believe in you, to believe that you exist, that Jesus was who he said he was, that his work on the cross, his burial and resurrection on the third day are all evidence of the fact that his promises are true and that when he said he could forgive sins, it was true. So Father, I pray that you'd help us as we are recipients of the goodness of your grace and forgiveness, as we receive and have been recipients of your mission heart, we say thank you. And Father, I pray you'd help us to stay focused on what it is you've called us to do while we're here. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.